Stanislav, you're back. Shane, I've been here. Oh, that's who's been the silent lurking fourth box. Well, you know what happens every Sunday night at 8 p.m. GMT, I log on and no one's there. So there's there's hours of me just <laughs> musing. <laughs> just riffing? Yeah. Riffin, reading my letterboxed reviews. Don't look up my letterbox. But I like I like your letterbox reviews. Stanislav, I feel like I'm doing letterboxed wrong, by the way. I think so too. I, I sort of felt like Letterboxd was like the serious film review site. And in, in the past few years, it appears to have become how can I do the funniest one sentence review? Oh. Do you think that's what I'm doing? Not you particularly. <laughs> my my reviews are one sentence long. Yes. Everyone does the one sentence review and I'm like, I get it. But for me, when I review things, I think we've had this discussion um, on the Discord, actually, where it's just kind of like, I want to remember like what I thought and felt about something. So when I think about it in three years, I can go back and sort of reference it. But it makes I think it makes me look a little bit too navel-gazy. Well, I certainly do leave the one-sentence reviews. I don't even leave star reviews anymore. I just like having a, a diary of what I've watched because I'm watching like a movie every day or two. I'm really into movies lately as well. They're great. Motion pictures? They, yeah, man. The the 24 frames per second? The talkies, baby. Your brain fills in the gaps. Did you know that? <laughs> well, film fills in the gaps. That's why film is so cool. Whoa. Like cuz uh, you know, if it's capturing 24 frames, it's actually capturing movement. Like not every frame is not every frame is a picture unless you've like some slightly blurry lines. Yes. You know what I mean? Because that's why film is so cool versus like 24 frames a second in a video game is poo-poo. Oh, terrible. You can't even. Like, what, am I playing Bloodborne out here? I never have and I never will. <laughs> but Stan, it's uh, it's good to see you again. You want to do, do an episode of The Dive Down? Yeah. Can I just tell you one funny movie anecdote? Oh, please. I went to see the new Nick Cage picture dream scenario the other night. Oh, yes. Yes. I want to see that. It looks cerebral. Yeah, and it, it is. Uh, it came out in, I don't know if it came out in England and America the same day, but it came out in England. I was eager to see it. And afterwards, I was like, I'm just going to walk into the theater where Marvels <laughs> is about to start. Oh, man, you're theater hopping like a, like a teenager? Oh, God. I would walk into movies for free if I could, but the security here is ironclad. <laughs> I used to do that, man. I used to just literally walk into the movie theater, like nod at the ticket taker, like I knew where I was going. And they, it's always a a teenager who gets paid less than minimum wage and they're not going to stop yeah. me. Yeah. Well, yeah. They're not security. No, but anywho, I decided to just walk into the theater where Marvels was starting and uh, I walked into an empty theater and I was like, heck yeah. And I'm going to, the British don't like the MCU, huh? <laughs> I guess not. Cause 10 minutes into the movie, it just stopped. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, this guy, this guy stole his way in here. I'm going to show it to him. Yes. Uh, so then I walked home. Was it for the best that it stopped? I was I was on board for the first ten minutes. There you go. That's all you need. Loop rope stand in in the first ten minutes and you got him for ninety at least. Hello and welcome to episode 249 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Manchester, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav. What's up, Shane? We, are, we, are, we already chit-chatted for like 15 minutes before we even turned on the mics, and then we ha we have the cold open. Mm. 
and and so like what what else do i have to ask i mean i don't but i'm just uh, again glad to have you back on you had a little break and we hung in there but i'm glad i'm i've missed your takes your attitude your your buzzed head oh man you saved me for myself from having to like pick spoiler cards <laughs> that I was not enthused about but have to discuss anyway. I did I did want to at some point in this episode. Maybe we'll just do it now. What uh what what cards if any were were you are your picks to click? Uh sure, we'll do it now. Uh I, there are two cards that I wonder if they have rhino merit. That's the only window in which you view the world through. Yeah, the other one is is the spirit window and like abuela or whatever. Yeah. Like that's Abuelo, the grandfather spirit. Exactly. Yeah, that that would be an interesting one to try. Uh, but the two rhino cards that I wonder is Tishana's Tidebinder, that flash oh. merfolk wizard that stifles target activator yep, yeah, trigger yeah. ability. I think that's kind of interesting against things like engineered explosives, um, even opponents, cascades, other stuff. I love other stuff. Um, and the other one, and this is going to sound a little crazy... Mm-hmm. But I wonder if the spelunking card can rhino. Oh, you know about spelunking? I mean, yeah, we we talked about it. I I vaguely remember what it does. It's like you get to play an extra land and something else. Oh, it makes the stuff come in untapped. Yes, it's two and a green enchantment. When it enters, you draw a card, which I think is pretty important. And then you may put a land from your hand onto the battlefield. If it's a cave, you gain four life. I didn't look close enough at the caves to decide whether there are any that you would want to run, but. That's a good line of trinket text too, because burn is a tough matchup for rhinos. They're gonna retcon um, gemstone caverns into a cave. I heard. Oh, that would be sick. <laughs> That'd be sick. Th- the only thing about this card, the the thing that made me wonder, just purely theoretically, is a I like that it's a three mana. Um, which is like a nice place on the curve if you don't have a cascade spell. I like that it replaces itself. I like that it also is an uh, like it's a cantrip that you can pitch to your green, other green cards like Force of Vigor and Endurance. When I frequently feel like pitching those cards can be a bit difficult because you have the fewest. Yeah, those and those are the good ones. Those are the ones you don't want to pitch. That's right. So that's why I was like, I wonder if Spelunking can be a cheeky one of that kind of like ties the room together. But I think odds are low. But this is why Mana Traders is good, because I can just rent a card and put it in a deck and see what happens. Yeah, use you sign up code the dive down twenty-three for ten percent off your first two months of Mana Traders card rental service, by the way. The other sponsor I wanna talk to you about is Heavy Play. Oh yes, you gotta. Have you heard about Heavy Play? I have a new Heavy Play anecdote. Yeah, isn't isn't Doomwake uh, a sponsor he's, he's sponsored by Heavy Play now, so Yes. Another one joins the family, but I had an IRL Heavy Play recognition on none other than guy fox day last week i went to an rcq in huddersfield did you have a mask no <laughs> no people don't wear you're not, masks you're, you're not like v for vendettaing it or whatever oh oh because it's guy fox day i thought you meant because of the covid uh no no i have i haven't seen any guy fox ma- people don't call it guy fox day either they call it bonfire night interesting yes it is just a little cheeky uk ism dude imagine the fourth of july with like the fireworks and stuff but sunset is at five and it's cold and wet and rainy so it's just like at 5 30 you're standing in the rain while people like burn a pile of wood chippings in their yard or light off fireworks from the nearby park (laughs) 
Sounds good to me. That's got Guy Fox Day here. But in any case, I, I went to an RCQ, a modern RCQ over in Huddersfield at Gemini Games. And my round one opponent saw me getting my stuff ready. Yeah. And he goes, is that heavy play? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it is. And he's like, wait, are you, are you from the dive down? And I was like, I am. <laughs> and I gave him a deck box. And you know what he was playing? Mill. Oh, I, I played against Mill this week. Spoilers. I know. I'm looking forward to talking to you about it because I won that game since I think that's a very winnable matchup for the Rhinos deck. And I, yeah, know, that, I, think I know that was not your experience. I think it depends on how many surgical effects they get off. Ooh, I think it depends on how many sideboard cards you put into your deck and how 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 close you can get to just adding oh, 15 yeah, just, cards just to your main. throw them all in. Yeah. I kind of forgot about that strategy. That's the, that's the move. It's funny. So they equated heavy play with the dive down where our marketing is working. Isn't that interesting? That's us. And look, people notice heavy play accessories. You'll notice them too. You have to try them out. It's the card game accessory brand that is going to improve your gameplay and your game day with their play mats, their deck boxes, and their card sleeves, all featuring enhanced ergonomics, for mobility and protection. I really love the Equip Mag system that allows you to magnetically attach dice, bundle decks, and just carry your playmat and everything else in one hand. It's so convenient at RCQs. They go to time these days, but sometimes you just need to, you know, rush to table four because you've been paired and you're a table four now and you, you don't want to need to put everything in your backpack. You just clip it together and you just march on over to table four. How would I purchase this if I was so inclined? You'd go to heavyplay.com and you'd use promo code thedivedown2023 to get 10% off your first order. Heck, they may be available at your LGS now. And if they're not, you should ask your LGS about it. Because if your LGS starts hearing players asking about heavy play accessories, they may be inclined <laughs> to start sourcing them. Hammer your fists on the on the a glass cabinet not hard enough to break it give me heavy play you too can be a marketing professional a guerrilla marketing <laughs> professional by just talking to people to sell you stuff stan what are we doing this week all right on this week's show we're going to kick off with a good old-fashioned breakdown of scg pittsburgh remember scg haven't done, haven't done that in a minute star city games well they're back in pog form and they have a modern 10k that we're going to dissect and then, you know, stands in the house. So we are going to muse about the weird new cards that have been popping up in Rhino strategies. Yeah, we've got new Rhino builds to talk about this week. New Rhino build, I would guess. And, you know, people in our Discord have been talking about this and performing well with, you know, showing pictures of their trophies or like four ones, talking about things they've been experimenting with. So, you know, we're on board with this too. Yeah. Especially because it's us. Yeah. The Horn Dogs. Like, I keep hearing about these Shieldred Rhino decks that are winning RCQs, so I needed to put Shieldred in the deck and see what's up. So we'll talk about Shieldred. I also really want to talk about Commandeer and a few other cards. That is a modern legal card. Commandeer, I know. Who knew? Uh, and then we're going to wrap up with a listener email about a topic you guys did not discuss while I have been on my sabbatical, which is the universes beyond Marvel news. Yeah, I um, I think we wanted to avoid takes, but then you opened the door and I walked right through it with like four paragraphs. You know, I just want to end the show on a real sad note. <laughs> <laughs> We're all quitting modern. That's right. Full-time explorer. Okay, before all that though, let's housekeep. All right, let me, let me housekeep for you, Stan. We've got a new patron in Nathan P., Thank you, Nathan, for becoming a citizen of the Dive Down Nation. We appreciate you. Uh, no increased tears. And we do have a new review this week from Dive Down Fan from Sweden. Uh, we appreciate somehow your bits got all the way over here into the these American.com URLs. This is another long one. This is I'm, I'm, I can't I can't even summarize this one, but we appreciate that you uh, you like our, our joyful insights 
and succulent voices. So thanks, Dive Down Fan, for being a listener, throwing us a review out there. I know we also had some stuff on Spotify. Dave is not here to provide us those insights. And, and we don't know how to use Spotify without him. So I have this open now. And first off, we did have a poll. Only 29 votes in this one. But uh, of which of these Lost Caverns of Ixalan cards will have the most impact, the options were Molten Collapse, Get Lost, Bartolome de Presidio, Tishana's Tidebinder, Spelunking, Tyrion's Soul Cleaver. And Dave did put in Souls of the Lost. But I have seen people talk about Souls of the Lost as an actual potential card for people to be playing. Molten Collapse, the sort of fancier uh dreadbore was the first place selection at 24 but get lost at 21 percent was right behind and we had jaspy now with bacon jake r and salvador s with some comments uh, about the episode Uh, we appreciate all y'all getting up in those comments if you want to become a patreon a patron of the dive down like nathan p go to patreon.com slash the dive down we have lots of cool swag and other benefits like getting the episode early before it drops on thursday morning things like that you can get a special patreon playmat at the eight dollar tier super cool very exclusive for those higher end patreons uh, if you want to support us without doing patreon you can go to the store the divedown.com slash store and then as we mentioned mana traders use code the dive down 23 for 10 percent off of your first two months there so stan train stg con yes pittsburgh love it there modern 10k 287 players that's a lot of money i mean i'll take 10k i don't think winner gets 10k maybe they should maybe it should be take winner take all i could use that money right now too oh man um but i breezed to the standings i saw some names like you know Corey b connor malali piper powell jerry t People like that show up to these kind of things. And, you know, with the recent meta dominance of stuff like scam and beans, or at least I guess the perceived meta dominance, like, you know, I personally had a lot of curiosity what's going to go down here in this paper event because players typically can't be quite as quick to pivot uh, decks because of the realities of the, you know, paper economy versus online rental service economy. And so I did the usual, counted some decks up. And I went through the decks, tried to find weird outliers, people saying like they're playing 10 rack when in fact they're on Tron, don't do that. Or they say that, you know, all other deck lists when they're playing Yawgmoth, don't do that. It's mean to me. So here's the meta. It's kind of what you expect. 49 players on Scam. I combined Scam and Evoke. So 49 players is about 17 Uh, Win rate was about 53%. So I've noticed something interesting, Stan, about Melee. And it came to me in a vision through Windows Calculator. And I was like doing some math and I was like, wait a second, this math doesn't add up. Because it was like the win rate that they were giving me was the match win rate was higher than like the calculated win rate of just sort of taking the wins and dividing by the overall matches, right? Which is kind of how I would think it's done. But I learned when digging through the magic rules say a player's match win percentage is that player's accumulated match points divided by the total match points possible in those rounds. So does that mean that if there's like draws that are happening in the rounds in which they are playing, there are fewer total match points available. Does that make sense? Where it's like, it's not actually just win rate divided by total, excuse me, games won, matches won over matches played. It is in fact like some match point calculation that is happening behind the scenes. So anyway, I just found that to be interesting where it's like the the number seems slightly different than uh, one would actually sort of calculate manually. But anyway, scam at about a 53% win rate. Then we had four and five color Omnath 
right behind it. 28 decks, 9.75%, about a 43.5% win rate for those decks. Golgari Yog at about 6%, uh, 53.5%. Hammer at 5.2. A little bit of, I think, Hammer meta comeback here. Uh, I played against Hammer this week, and I was like, holy smokes, this deck still seems really good. 60.9% win rate. Pretty nice. And then, you know, then we had uh, 13 players on Titan, about 4.9, uh, 53.7%. Team of Rhinos, 4.5 at about 53.3. Burn, 4.5, 37.5% win rate. Hardened Scales, 4.5 as well, with a 55.4% win rate. Monogreen Tron, 3.35% meta representation, about exactly 50% win rate. And then is it Merc Tide at nine copies, 3.35 as well, and a 56.4% win rate, a good win rate for Merc Tide this weekend. And then everything else below 3%. Uh, meta share was about 40% of the room. Dude. So I think that there's some surprises here for me. Burn at 37.5%. That's not a surprise. <laughs> Are you surprised that that's, it's that low? It's pretty low. And, and I have a, you know, I always have a take on burn. People always say the same thing in response to me, which is, oh, it's just like the deck that people borrow or it's the deck that people have because it's cheap. And, but I'm like, these people aren't going to 10Ks that often. They're going to be playing side events or going to be, I, I mean, in my opinion, in my experience, I don't, I don't think a lot of players are necessarily showing up and dropping like 60 bucks to enter the 10K. Well, I don't know. I mean, sometimes. sometimes. Yeah, I don't think all 260 plus there are like grinders. Yeah, seasoned grinders, but I, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. M- my question is like, who is Burn beating? Um, sometimes, sometimes rhinos. Yeah, Som- sometimes. I mean, he has a bad scam. It Tron. They can, can try to. It can get under Tron. Yeah. that's the thing. But Tron, you know, is a lower, fairly low meta percentage. We haven't seen Tron besides the Pro Tour. After the Pro Tour, Tron just you know took a nosedive, basically. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, scam is still the most represented deck in the room. And I just feel like it's still like that. I'm slightly better than average, mostly across the board. And, you know, that's that's enough to be a good tournament deck. And it's most players I saw were not running main deck Shieldred, maybe one here and there. So no one's really kind of even, I, I think, trying to do the main deck Shelly thing to fight the mirror. It's just this, the same solid deck that it has been for months and, um, you know, it just, as we've said many times, it's just like, it's, it's so consistent and so even across many of its matchups that it, I think just continues to thrive. And yeah, I don't know. It's not much to say about scam here, right? I think it's not a surprise scam being at like 53% and being the most represented deck in the room is not a surprise to me. Yeah. The thing that was surprising, I think was that the Omnath decks kind of stank it up while being the second most represented deck in the room. And this is another time when I feel like people are going to come to me and say, well, those are like newer players or worse players bringing the deck than online. And I'm like, what? People people aren't, people don't play this deck in paper. People aren't like pivoting to Omnath decks as much as they would on Magic Online. Do you know what I mean? Like for, cause like for me, like I'm not going to buy all the stuff I need for Omnath when I could just rent it on Ma- Mana Traders. I think if any, so I've, I've not heard that particular argument. I've heard the one about Burn. I, I've not heard that people saying like, you know, newer players are picking up Omnath. I think if anything, the newer players are just picking up Scam because like it's a funny meme. It's clearly like really good. And I think that's how you get like 17% of the room. Yeah. You know, when the next closest deck is only 9.7 percent yeah i don't know if people like would say like shane there's there's new players 
bringing Omnath, I feel like this would be kind of like, well, it's, they're just they're just paper players. They're not like the online grinders. And I'm like, look, the paper grinders are the people who are playing Omnath more exactly. often than not. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, I mean, I think I don't I don't have any deep insights about why Omnath wouldn't perform particularly well this weekend. I don't think there's anything in the meta game that is particularly scary to me for, as an Omnath player. But again, I'm not one of those, so. You know, yog good yog things. Hammer, I, I'm I'm curious about. Like, I feel like there's sort of it's a, it's a really good showing. This deck has not been proven to be good against Omnath in the past. Like the the win rates against like the four color mid range decks are quite bad actually for Hammer. But you know, it's it's typically a push against Scam. It does have some stronger matchups against like other represented decks in the field. Like it's slightly strong against like Rhinos, uh, some other strategies, probably Tron. But you know, I think it's just kind of like, hey, some people decided to bring uh, Hammer back to the room and performed well. I played against Hammer this week and it kicked my butt. And I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about how good this deck is. Yeah, and it's just like it's one of those decks that really punishes you when you just start shaving on any artifact hate. And like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's it's really good to have like a bunch of point removal, a bunch of artifact hate, and furies as, as well. <sighs> yeah, and like when. Essentially, like, Scam is the only deck that's playing four Furies anymore. It, it kind of feels like there's an opening there for Hammer to either try to kill Scam faster and, like, combo out faster than it can interact or just get under every other deck in the room and, like, take your beats with Scam occasionally. Yes. Yeah, I I, I think it's... The, the builds are very slightly different than what I remember. Um, we can talk a little bit more about that in a second. Uh, Burn was pretty bad, even worse than usual this weekend. Only, you know, Rhinos did Rhino stuff. Like, only one person that I saw in the whole list ran the Shielded Rhinos deck that we're going to be talking about today. I was a little bit surprised by that, but it was typically Teamer or a few four-color folks. And then Murktide. Murktide made a good comeback. I was What I was surprised by by this was that not many players um, who did well, especially, appeared to be running kind of the new Questing Druid slash Seek the Beast tech and stretching a little bit into like the teamer mana because i played against that deck this week and i found that that card seemed really good i don't know if you've played against that yet but like it was you know it offers like a bit of card advantage with seek the beast and then that threat of questing druid scales really quickly into like the mid and late game and something that you can't attack through and then when they get the opening after they've like you know unholy heated your threat or whatever then they're killing you very quickly so it feels kind of like a a double duty murktide where it's like, or like kind of a, a better ledger shredder in some ways, where like it grows and like a very, it doesn't require like a double spell or anything like that. It's just like, hey, I'm doing what I want to do. And then my threat is getting out of hand. Yeah, I, I agree. It, like, I think it also lets the deck kind of go wider in a new way because casting multiple Merktides can be a little challenging if, if you essentially like use up your whole graveyard to cast the first one and you're not spending enough cards to make a second one um for cheap um and i feel like this one a is getting you through your deck to find more threats like to find additional ragavans or drcs or whatever or questing druids for that matter and like i think it's really great in multiples because it just it scales so quickly um with your main game plan that i totally agree i I think this card is pretty scary i i lost to it not this deck but i lost to a red green prowess deck featuring questing druid at my last rcq in fact yeah, it's a cool card. I, it doesn't seem like it's kind of the new Merktide thing, but we'll see kind of, I think, the how people start gravitating towards it in different builds. You know, like you said, whether it's Prowess or Merktide is like a redundant threat and a way to get some cards to cast. So what I thought was interesting was this top 32 meta. 
And it's a little eye-popping um, in that Rakdos scam was 10 of the top 32, so about 31% scam. And then we had a pretty fast fall off into more or less kind of expected conversion rates, where it's like four Yawgmoth, three Titan, three Omnath, although that's actually maybe a little bit less than one might expect. I guess it's probably about, it's about representation. Uh, two Rhinos, two Hammer, two Scales. That's actually pretty good conversion. And then one ofs of stuff like Coffers Living in, Just Guy Control, Is It Murktide, four color Rhinos. So I guess remember he, if you want to call it three copies of Rhinos and then a Demir Control. So this is, this is the kind of stuff where people are continually sort of pointing fingers. You know, Doomwake likes to do this too, where he's like, here's the state of modern. And it's like, we've got 10 copies of 32 being Rakdos scam. You know, People like to look at Beans as one of the states of modern. Only three Omnath decks in this top 32, which I'm assuming is probably the only Beans deck. Yeah, I'm guessing so. So it's a scam world. We're just we're just living in it. Yeah, it's it's and I just I hate repeating myself, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Do it. Um it's just like, you know, this is this is a tournament deck, right? It's just like, hey, I'm never Wait, horrible. Scam is, you mean? Yeah, scams the tournament yeah. deck. It's just yeah. like it's it's rarely horrible, but unlike a deck like let's say you know when when Jund was maybe on its way down, but people kept playing it, was just like I'm I'm never really horrible, but I'm frequently very good. Mm-hmm. And and that's a better place to be. Like if you're the 53% average deck instead of like the 47% average deck, that's actually a pretty big delta. So yeah, I mean scams doing scam things, and people aren't necessarily fighting on the access to defeat it if they can. Like, you know, we still, we didn't see like 10% scales in the room or something like that. So who knows where we're going? You know, people do keep clamoring about, you know, scam being too good, too annoying, too overrepresented. So, you know, again, we'll see what happens. I mean, 53% win rate, probably not indicative of it being too good, but obviously very popular. Twice as popular as the next most popular deck, so... Yeah, this is definitely, like, you know, sort of takes me back to the beginning of this podcast when, you know, we saw, like, 15 to 20% uh, as a Phoenix and stuff mm, like that, so... God, those are the days, though. <laughs> right? Let's talk about the top eight really quickly. Um, I think there's some stock decks in here and some interesting decks, or I'm look- I'm re-looking at decks to see kind of what the, the current builds are. We had TJ Radizak on Golgari Yogmoth. And TJ just had a main deck Shieldred and Yogg. That seems to be kind of a thing now. They also had a Guilt Goose and three Soul Cauldron. Uh, Soul mm. Cauldron is definitely doing work in these creature combo-y style decks for sure. That card is so good. <laughs> just, <laughs> just Let's make all of my creatures do ev- anything and everything. It's insane. I still look back and just be like, Shane, you knew this card was good and it's a mythic and it's an artifact. You should have bought 75 of them when they were like seven or eight bucks or whatever. We should use dive down funds to to gamble yes, on we should, cards. We should just have a spec account. You're right. You're right. Dave, get on it. That's not a bad idea. Uh, second place, Travis Brown on Hammer, Mono White Hammer. This blast, and t- uh, Travis Brown ended up winning. And so this deck, I looked at all of the Mono White Hammer builds. It appears to be a sort of solidifying around this new stock build. There's usually like two or three Giver of Runes, a Ginger Brute, to provide like some brute force damage in through blockers with like that little sort of activated haste clause. And then like four Amiria's calls 
to be able to be a land if you really needed to, or also to pitch to usually a full playset of sideboard solitudes. And then the rest of the sideboard is really tidy. And because it's in white, you know, you have sort of the hate bear you know, hate-style creatures like Sanctifier on Vac or Dranith Magistrate or Strict Proctor or Cursed Totem or things like that. So usually the, the sideboard's like very tuned for particular matchups. And also some of these things are sort of pretty widely applicable, right? Like they can hit multiple decks with a strategy that's being brought. Like, you know, Sanctifier on Vec is going to do work against Scam, but also do work against like Burn in a pinch, like if that's something that you have to fight through. So uh, I think the the build makes sense. Um, again, like I said, I played against Hammer this week and I found it as annoying as ever to try to make sure you have enough interaction. I'm keeping these interactive filled hands and they're still just like spewing to the board or they get three of their uh, Urza sagas and just like make way more constructs than I could possibly deal with. And, and so it's, it's, it's just a, it's a good deck unless you get kind of the hate you need, I think, right? Yeah, I mean, it beat Corey on Scam in the finals, which I think is pretty interesting that, like, I, I think that, if nothing else, is just evidence that Hammer can, like, have those nut draws that will combo kill you even after they've exhausted a ton of resources to interact or yeah. ideally scam you. I mean, it grinds, you know what I mean? Like, you can't you can't take Urza Saga and you're gonna run, you could potentially run out of interaction. Or the you know the sagas make your constructs really big. You can't attack through them, so it's it can be rough for sure. Yeah, Forge New helps with that grind plan as well. Oh yeah, like that's a really important new addition that I think helps the deck play a longer game and not run out of gas. Uh, Steve Stillman, third place on Scam, pretty stock. A few Bone Crusher Giant in the board. I saw a good number of Bone Crushers in boards. Uh, Stillman also had two Roiling Vortex, which seems wild to me. Maybe just sort of against against particular strategies where it's going to do more to help than harm you mean in the sideboard yeah well i I think it's good against cascade because it dings them for five and like that's um i think important because subtlety is really good against scam in addition Mm -hmm. to just like rhinos like making two four fours yeah i mean good against the omnath stuff um you know they, they can't get life gain they also take damage, so it's probably more of a hedge against that is my guess. But, you know, like you said, it, it has some applicability for sure. I've never seen it in Scam before. Agreed. Corey B, fourth place, like you mentioned, also on Scam. Pretty stock-looking list, a few Bone Crusher in the side. Tyler H, um, that's their name. I don't, I, I, I'm not eliminating their last name. On Yogg, fairly stock-looking Yogg deck. Sixth place, Hakan Chinar on Teamer Rhinos. More or less stock, you know, the typical season to taste elements like Singleton Bone Crusher Giant, Singleton Brazenbauer, a couple Flames of Anor, a couple Mystical Dispute Main. You know, there's, as I think we'll talk about in the dive down segment, is you know, the flexibility of rhinos is sort of like a boon and a curse. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, Hakan's take on it this week. Uh, Jeffrey Zong on Scam looks stock to me. And Noah Anderson Wickester on amulet titan looks pretty much like titan to me yep looks good so overall take stan this is basically every rcq metagame i have <laughs> yes. played this season um, besides hammer for me definitely more hammer in this run than i have seen yeah i mean if anything i think like i agree with you the the resurgence of hammer is a little bit of surprise because i think there was a l- there there was some feelings of hammer dropping off i also think like yogmoth kind of overperformed here because I, I i do believe yogmoth is is the dog in the scam matchup 
because they're playing so much removal and they're running four furies so that if they slow play the fury like they will just completely wipe your board by you know scamming it if, if they time it correctly um so that that's pretty impressive here otherwise like i would point out that like among these most represented decks with the exception of omnath and burn which had very low win rates a lot of these are kind of just like hovering at this 53 54 range yeah yeah which, play the play the good decks dan well well i almost think that's kind of interesting like compared to some of the stats we've seen from karsten i think karsten's most recent pioneer article had like a lot of decks in the 40s um and it was this weird i don't have it in front of me so i'm, I'm just kind of going off memory but there was this weird feeling that like there was a handful of decks that kind of like were overperforming and then a lot of decks that were just kind of like worse than average um and here we're seeing a lot of decks sort of perform above average seems like it was an exciting tournament to play in and maybe part of that has to do with just like the caliber of players who are coming out for scg 10k yeah i mean like you said this is modern this is like the same modern that we're in you know lots of scam lots of scam success it's like just a nice flat win rate i'm kind of a little bit surprised that the bean decks didn't have a better overall tournament i'm also surprised maybe they weren't at like 15 percent like, I thought there'd be more than, like, nine or whatever. And, again, like, the Hammer comeback. Like, I'm I'm curious if people are sort of, like... The, the Hammer people still seem to be, like, tuning it and making it better in the overall metagame. And I think that there are plenty of ways in which Hammer can, you know, tech and tune. And, like you said, maybe strike while the iron's hot. When people are sort of shaving their artifact hate. When they're kind of like, well, I need to care about beans. I need to care about scam. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if Hammer... And this is purely conjecture but i wonder if hammer is able to outlast some of the artifact hate that um the hardened scales deck can't play around because if you're, if you're looking at things like force of vigor that can tag artifacts and enchantments i wonder if like tagging a hardened scales and an ozolith and then just using point rule to deal with the creatures in scales is enough to shut down that deck where hammer because of forge anew um because of ink moth like can actually sort of outplay those anti-artifact strategies mm -hmm. since, since the other feeling i have here is that hardened scales is a little underrepresented considering it's you know many people say it's favorite against scam and one of the strongest matchups against scam in particular and it's 55 percent win rate clearly not bad it probably got to beat some scam decks along the way to to reach that but you know, I, if anything, I would have expected Scales and Hammer to maybe like be flipped in their representation, um, or at least Scales like having, yeah, more players than than Hammer does in this case. And apparently, the opposite was true. I, I feel like Hammer is a deck that you know Grinder is probably bought into like a few years ago mm -hmm. when it was like the 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 big new thing and like you know tier one type strategy. And it, it was tier one for a long time. Yeah, I think people are sort of sitting on those cards longer than like the scales aficionados, where it still does have a lot of like particularly you know uh, niche cards. Not that not that hammers cards aren't niche, but I think like you know scales was never kind of truly op, and I think was always considered like a harder deck to play. Whether or not that's actually true, so I think it's sort of the thing like like you know I can go pick hammer out out of my you know deck boxes and have it ready, but I don't have the same thing to say about scales my last thought on these results is that this 
this kind of feels like the best showing we've seen from Merktide in a long time. Oh, like yeah. At 56%, um, only nine players, but apparently they did fairly well. So I, I, I think like Merktide, we've, we've been kind of mocking it for a while as, as the new Jund because of its popularity and, and how its relative performance to its popularity until now where it feels like the popularity has been turned down a little bit, but it's actually doing fairly well. Yeah, I mean, you had a good weekend. So if you much like anything, right, where it's just like, unless you're trying to get the very last few percentage points, you can probably play any of the top 10 decks in modern, mm -hmm. besides burn, and, mm -hmm. you know, show up and potentially have a good weekend. So Stan, let's, let's take a quick little break, little bumper, uh, get a sip of water, and then we'll come back and talk about some shielded rhinos. Stay with us. Shane. Stanislav. Did you see that our friend of the show, frequent guest, Devin O'Donnell, <laughs> aka Doomake, yeah. not only did he, I think, essentially pioneered Shielded Rhinos, but he's taking the time to share a sideboard guide on his Twitter account. I love a spreadsheet. Yeah, it's, it's one of those spreadsheet format sideboard guides where it's just like numbers adjacent to a card, so it's a matrix of pluses and minuses. Yes, and I love when the numbers, the pluses and the minuses add up perfectly. It's my favorite. God, that's like the bare minimum of a cyber card. Like <laughs> your choices don't even have to be correct as long as the numbers match. Oh, wait a second. One, two, three, seven, nine. I can't play a 58 card deck, Devin. You sneak. You, you cad. So, okay. Here's what I came here to talk about today with you, Shane. Is Rhino still good? Like, setting aside its 53-ish percent win rate at SCG, like, is this deck actually worth trying new cards in, in this, like, cascade strategy? Okay, well, I mean, that's actually a really good question. It depends on what the new cards are. We tried, I think we, we, we both tried them in the fashion in which people are doing so, and I think we both have thoughts on how they felt. Um, I definitely have some takes on, you know, my thoughts on Rhinos. I mean, I think Rhinos is clearly a... a perfectly good deck, right? Um, I wish that I would have had the time to play kind of regular old team of rhinos versus this style of four color rhinos because I could have sort of felt like, yeah, this is what this is what this one felt like and this is what I missed out of the, you know, playing Shieldred or something like that or uh, I really wish I would have had Shieldred in this matchup or something like that. So, but I sort of had to go back to the memory well of what playing rhinos felt like a few months ago because I've, you know, focused more on Scam or other decks we've tested for the episodes instead. For sure. Yeah, I mean, like, look, I'm very clearly biased and I'm going to remind <laughs> myself and others that a lot but in fairness i think it's good and this deck is good enough to battle but the problem is that it's just like really difficult to attack everything in the metagame right now yeah as a result like what i have found from playing rcqs fnms and online that it's really tough to find the right build week to week since the strategy is so malleable and it has so many yes. flex slots that's that's the thing right is like go back to scam and scams like I have like a more than solid like 58 cards and rhinos does not. Uh, I mean, you could, if you really want to look at rhinos, what there might be seven, eight flex slots. You know what I mean? Like your, your pitch elementals, your interactive spells, all that kind of stuff. Right. And I, th I think there's a good amount of a flex in this deck. And like you said, it, it makes it tough to know exactly what to bring because you know, more or less, this is a tempo deck. I'm going to say that dangerous word. Ooh. But to 
what that really relies on is the right interaction at the right time to buy yourself time. And, and like you said, that's tough. You might not always have the right piece at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. I sort of like, I, I found myself feeling like even though Rhinos is a good enough deck, it's not as good as it was when we Rhino players like did not have to keep iterating week to week and like messing with like slashing black for shieldred or, or you know, testing four color or testing like different numbers of flames of anors and dismembers and furies yeah. and solitudes. Like it, it almost seems like there's no actual stock build of rhinos right now. Whereas you're going to this SCG top eight and you're just like, scam looks like scam. Titan looks like Titan. A lot of these other decks like are very stock right now. And I, I would rather, I would rather be in the stock zone, but it's, it's, it's tough right now to, to kind of like find that version of this deck when you have to be able to interact while also trying to combo off i'm going to plant this seed in your mind and the listener's mind as we keep going forward and and that is do you think that we're messing too much with mm-hmm. the core with mm-hmm. with what the core was yeah and you know to tweaking for tweaking sake sometimes and i i will say i i think that this that's what I, that's what i have some stuff to talk about as we go on yeah yeah that, that'll be an interesting question to, to play with because I have been wondering lately, like, what would happen if I just, like, played a two-year-old Rhino build when it was, like, still just, like, four Fury. And, brazen Borrower. <laughs> yeah, like, three Brazen Borrowers, four Bone Crusher, with the only new addition being, like, swapping four lands for Lorwyn Revealed, and just kind of, like, going back to square one and then trying to deconstruct and rebuild from there based on what I face in the metagame because th- those were good times, and we, we were yeah. doing very well. Do you, do you ever look back sometimes and be like, man, I really wish having like, I really miss having like, you know, two or three gemstone caverns in my build. Sure would love to have, you know, a turn to a cascade spell. Seems good yeah, to me. Those those were good times. Yes. But what are we doing with, with this? What's this list look like, Stan, that, that Doom shared? Yeah. So the first thing we're going to talk about is Shieldred Rhinos, which is very similar to Teamer, but it is playing for Shieldred as kind of your alternate win condition. <laughs> yes, yeah, like you could say. the fact that you had to hesitate on this, I think already says a lot of what, what's this card doing here, right? Yeah. I think it's, it's, let's just play a good card and yeah. see what happens. Yeah. And, and then I, I do want to mention because Devin included it and I'm seeing a lot of other Shelly Rhino players run it. Like he's playing one Halo Forager, which was a card that a lot of people paid attention to when it first was spoiled as yeah like a really great cascader yeah um but it's a demir yes a demir cascader sort of (laughs) um and uh now we finally got to try it out so we'll we'll share some experiences with those two but yeah and and black opens up dismember a little bit like if you don't want to take the four life loss you might have a piece of black a black pip to to throw at it or something like that yeah that's where we start but i do want to like eventually take a minute to share some thoughts i've had on commandeer which is like this new sideboard staple that i've been very first intrigued and then impressed by and sweet and sort of hear if you've had any experiences with it i do have some thoughts on like the mix of subtlety and fury because i think that's been a little bit of a contentious issue yes um and and then maybe we can wrap up with like a quick check-in on some other new-ish sideboard cards like Obsidian sure. Charma and yeah. an- another one I've really been impressed by, which is Brotherhood's End. Now look, if there's one thing I can talk to you about, Stan, it's Rhinos. 
and takes. Yes. All right, so Shieldred. We've got Shieldred. You know you know what Shieldred does. It's a good card. It costs four mana. We can run it um, because it doesn't mess up with the, the Cascade stuff. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I would say that what the, the ostensible reason to run this card is that it's good against probably Scam. It's good against uh, the Beans decks and sort of generally a win con that doesn't require attacking if you can just sort of sit there for a while. Yeah. I mean, I do think... I wasn't on that show, but like I'm pretty sure Devin said the reason he put it into the deck was to beat Beans. Like, yeah, it, it definitely it definitely beats Beans. I mean, as of course, it's also a card that Scam runs for the sideboard matches. Yes. It's a card that you want to have in, you know, in play, uh, so might as well do it. Yeah, yeah. I think not only does it help you sit across from Beans and kind of like punish them for just doing their thing, I think it's also worth noting that it it forces interaction and when your primary game plan is about putting like two creatures on the board uh, that you need to survive in order to win, having this like lightning rod that's just really scary for doing nothing other than sitting there, I think having that there, you could argue supports your game plan to some extent too. Yeah, I mean, I think it supports any game plan if it sits there, right? Like I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but I can't think of another four mana card in modern that can literally just sit there and win the game. Mm. Like Jace the Mind Sculptor has a tick up. Um, that's sort of like another one I can think of, but I really can't think of many options that all it has to do is survive. What about Clothis? That's three mana. Yeah, I mean, that that requires, what, some graveyard stuff? I don't yeah, really cards know, have so. to be in the yard, yeah. And, and I mean, specifically non, non-land cards have to be in the yard for it to do the, the gain and drain. I guess Roiling Vortex pings them one, but that's <laughs> that's pretty slow. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Like, so overall, what, what did you think about Shieldred in this deck, Stan? Right. I mean, obviously this card is very good. And you can well, probably... It's ob- it's on its face. I mean, on its face, it's yeah. very good. But yeah. is it good in Rhinos? I want to well, hear your take. Well, here's the thing. Like... You can put it in just about any deck and she's going to be powerful just sitting there. And on on a base level, like that's true for Rhinos too. Like if you can resolve a Shieldred and she sits around, she just wins the game by chilling and looking fly and slaying. Whether she actually supports the Rhino plan, like I think that's both matchup dependent, but also not necessarily like determined yet. Oh, yeah. Um, I I agree. Like, is is this card on game plan? Is kind of like my the primary thing I wanted to talk about with you. Yeah, it, I mean, it's not like it's not. It's, it doesn't support the traditional plan. No. What's interesting about it is like, yes, we've talked about her passive ability of just sitting there, but it's also I think important to note that she's good at beating the interaction that people use to play to to beat rhinos. So like, she's like. She doesn't care about Teferi. She doesn't care about Chalice or Engineered Explosives or Spell Pierce. Like a lot of the cards that I think people are running to beat Cascade in general, she'll just sort of laughs at that. Um, she does still die to Fatal Push or Terminate and, you know, most removal spells. <laughs> yeah. Um, you have to scam a Fury though, which I think is yeah. noteworthy. Like she can beat a hard cast Fury or a traditional Fury, but. So like she she helps you play, but I don't know that she helps you cascade. Yeah, that's that's my. Let's talk what we like. So I yeah. think we talked. You know, it 
it's it's good like you said it's good against some of the traditional interaction i think that like you said it's sort of it's like an interesting sort of juke yeah and, and you know what she also sits really nicely on the curve like i actually think four mana I, obviously i'd prefer that she was three mana but like the fact that she's four mana makes for a really nice position where you can turn three shardless turn four shieldred and then your opponent like has to make some difficult decisions about what they care about yeah i mean it's, it's nice to follow up like against counter magic where they're like well i have to counter spell this cascade and then you're like well deal with the shieldred now and so that's kind of good. You can sort of stress the counter magic. Um, you know, you also do have potentially subtlety on the four mana spot, which you can flash in, which is kind of fun. Um, you know, it, mm-hmm. I think it leaves the opponent guessing more when you have the mana open. Mm-hmm. We can, of course, we'll talk about subtlety later. It, it's it's funny that I don't feel like we have a lot to say in terms of what's good about her besides like, hey, you know, she's good against scam. She's good against beans she doesn't mess up with your cascading all that kind of stuff yeah and and you know good against scam good against beans i think that's also somewhat relative because one of the things i found was that she's not a silver bullet in either matchup she she's she doesn't just win you the beans game like you still have to beat them and if she gets solituded for instance beans will do the thing of drawing 40 cards and then burying you in card advantage and omnaths and what have you. Exactly. I mean, that, that's the thing. It's like the beans deck does not win by saying like, I get a, you know, 10 life for every card I draw or something like that. Do you know what I mean? It's not like, it's not some infinite life combo. It's just like, Hey, here's some card advantage that I don't even necessarily need if I've stopped your other things that you're doing. Right. And my, my real issue was like, I feel like there's just, potentially let's i'm going to talk about shielded main deck specifically here right mm-hmm. where it's just like when we're slotting in four shielded and a uh halo, uh, halo forger whatever the heck that card's called right so forger is it forager or forger uh forager the, forager so by adding that you're also subtracting other things Yes. Right? Interaction. You're subtracting interaction specifically. So my primary issue with Shieldred was that as an early draw, she's broadly worse than anything else you would want to be drawing, in my opinion. Because she can't pitch to anything. She doesn't interact with what your opponent's doing. Like, you, you can't bounce something on two to you know this it just takes away your options that you would really want to be having where it's like i can't bounce something with a brazen bower i can't stomp something i can't uh i don't have another red card or a fury that i took out to like evoke and clear some opponent on my opponent's board um i don't have a flame of an here to do something cool like all of these things that you could have in this deck that you do before the cascade thing potentially or afterwards um you have to take all that stuff out to make room for shieldred or one or two halo forger or something like that and that was kind of one thing that i felt pretty strongly which is like i have to remove things that i want to cast normally because you know people say the format's really slow now but that that's only in a certain component of the format you know what i mean Mm mm-hmm yeah did you did you feel like that way 
I, I, I totally did. Like, missing on the interaction feels bad because, like, it's not like you're taking out one force of negation. You know what no. I mean? It's not like you're, 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 you're taking bits and pieces of interaction. You're kind of just, like, whole cloth replacing a certain group of cards, like yes. Furies, for instance, or Myst- Main Deck Mysticals or, or Flame of Anor. And and by doing this, you are like literally you're just saying by your deck construction that I believe Shieldred is more powerful across a wider variety of matchups and perhaps the matchups that I feel the worst against um, to make this decision. And I and I think you really have to have some uh, some stats or some vibes that backs up this decision because it's a big one. Yep. Yep. And and look at the end of the day, like I didn't walk away. I free rolled my. I, I played one Shieldred League. I free rolled, and I just thought it was like fine. But I yeah. I was not convinced as strongly as I think Devin or some of our patrons are. Oh yeah, I w- I'm totally on board. Like not only because of the deck construction and the cards, but also the mana base. Mm-hmm. Like I found the moving into four colors, especially one that required double black. Mm-hmm. just exposes these weaknesses in your mana base that normally you get to avoid, right? Where it's like, I've got to fetch double pips for my subtlety or my endurance, but then I'm like sometimes forced to be like, well, do I, I guess I need to get an overgrown tomb here, which doesn't get me red or blue. And then I'm also weaker to Blood Moon. Like I got Blood Moon out of Murktide, like very handily, right? Where it's just like, I couldn't cast um, anything with black in it. I... I I had enough to like do one violent outburst because I had a forest on the table at that point. And, but still, you know, they counter that. And then you're just kind of like, you know, Creek without a paddle type stuff. Like the triome comes in tapped. Like if you play the, the Grixis triome and I experienced all those things in just like a single league where it's like, man, this is, this is rough having to try to support the shieldred plan. Yeah. I, I think the, the mana thing is, is interesting because you're basically in this position where you kind of have to spend all of your turns fetching for black sources. And even though you you have one black triumph, which is Anders Lounge, and then you've got Watery Grave and Overgrown Tomb. Overgrown Tomb. Oh yeah, it's Watery Grave, Overgrown Tomb, and the red black one. You oh yeah, all blood, three. blood Crypt, you're right. Blood Crypt. So like you could avoid the the triome, but it just makes everything so much easier. But I think as soon as you start playing or fetching these black cards, you're like projecting something to your opponents too. And I think like signaling oh yeah, your your new plan, your juke, I, I think that can be problematic in and of itself. Definitely. So overall, like I'm really unsure that Shieldred belongs in this deck at all, but I'm pretty darn sure i don't want her in the main deck did you play against beans with her no i did not i mean like i can see it being like hey this this is something that can win me this matchup but like it's it's 10 percent of the metagame you know typically right you know what i mean like it's it's not gonna be something that i need to completely what i would consider kind of hose my main deck by sort of gutting a lot of the components that i think win you more games than you are losing when you don't have shieldred do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and 
I, I get why you might want Shieldred, but if like you're playing in a metagame where you're like, I think four main deck Shieldred is going to win me more games than I lose, why not play a deck that supports that strategy better? Like, why not play Coffers? Why not play Scam with, like, a Shieldred in the main and, like, two more in the side or something like that? Like, because that fits the way the deck wants to play, which is, like, you know, interact, whether it's the hand or the board, and then take over the end game with things like Shieldred and the rest of your interaction, right? And and I don't think that that's what Rhinos is really trying to do, right? And and that's why I'm not sold on Shieldred and Rhinos for a variety, you know, a variety of reasons I mentioned already. Yeah, I, I mean, I will say I did play against Beans. I played against it twice in my league, and the first time Shieldred did the thing, and I, I just destroyed them. Like it was actually not close. Where I had the one-two punch of cascading with some interactive backup, followed by Shieldred, and it was just sort of game over. Yeah, so that's how you drew it up. I drew, I drew it up real nice. Then I had a rematch uh, in my final match of the league, and it, I was not close. Like I didn't have the Shieldred in one game, um, and they crushed me. Even though I don't think like Beans is so much better than Rhinos that it always crushes me, but like they did this time. Um, and then another game, I did have the Shieldred, and they triggered Beans. Like they evoked something to draw cards while Shieldred was on the board. They answered her. I didn't have another one to play and it was game over. Yeah, I mean, so, it's it, it can just get off the board really quickly. It's not like it's invulnerable. It doesn't have hexproof. That's right. That's right. So I'm, I'm inclined to agree that it's an interesting experiment and maybe there's a room where she will actually like overperform, but I didn't feel like she was the new face of rhinos necessarily and i I would even agree that like it made me sort of just like miss playing a cleaner teamer version even though i do think there's also some merit to playing like the white version for oh uh, yeah line binding and ardently for sure i I would say there's more merit to that than there is to shieldred in a generic modern metagame yeah halo forager also has a black pip oh yeah and a blue pip and a blue one. That's the important one in um, this world. I mean, I, I didn't hate it. Yeah. Um, I, I It did the thing for me a couple times where it was just like I cast a, a Shardless and then I cast a Halo Forger and I made four Rhinos <laughs> and now I had a Flyer to boot and Seems it was good. cool. Yeah, it was cool. It was, you play the one, so your sample size is really low. Yeah, um, exactly. But like... I, I thought as a one-of, it actually was just fine. Maybe I would have preferred another piece of interaction there because I think that's one of the things that w- we were missing in the Shieldred deck in general. But having more consistency for your Rhino plan didn't hurt either. Yeah. It, in, in my limited experience. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not really pro or anti-Forager. Like, I had two in my list, honestly, and I didn't, mm. I didn't really get a lot of opportunity to cast it. Like, the one time I... I think one of the times i had it i was under a blood moon couldn't cast it Ooh. uh who, the, who cast blood moon against you i'm sorry uh murktide murktide played it uh sure, the, sure. I, but i'm not going to stretch into black to play this card no 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 so i mean i'd much rather like you said stretch into four color just to have access to white and then i get art and plea 
Yeah, and it, th- that's an interesting point too. Like the f- the the leyline binding decks have access to black pips, and they're not running this. Like they'd rather just run their art and play because Halo Forger almost like it makes you vulnerable to the quality of your hand in a way that having just like true extra cascaders does not. Yeah, I mean, like we talked about when it was spoiled, is like, hey, like you you have to have other things going on already, right? Where it's like, I've already have to have rhinos and this is adding more of them. It's not giving me the first ones. And and honestly, like the the first pair of rhinos is typically going to be more important than the, the backup pair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wonder if the four color binding versions of rhinos could play one post board as a way to beat like, the Merc Tide decks. Yeah, counter spell decks. Exactly, yeah. To, to, to like deal with like a spell piercer, a fluster storm, and just kind of like get you more uses out of a single footfalls the way that like endurance sort of can. But in when you're bringing an endurance, it's seldom to recycle your yard. Um, and Forger is good at that. Not to mention like occasionally just good against other people or by using other people's spells. Like Yeah, I... I wish I would have had more chance to try that tech out, but I did not. Mm. So yeah, I'm not you know, like like my my final take is I'm not going to stretch into black for it, but I mean I don't think it's a as much of a reach. Can we talk about commandeer? Oh please, because I still have not had a chance to use commandeer. Oh, I, none of, none of my mashups made sense for me, but like God, I definitely I see the I definitely it. see the appeal to this card. It's so good. It's why I bought four of them at a dollar fifty when Commander Master Commander Masters oh, came out. Man. I'm jealous. I, I I did not have the foresight. You're smarter than I am. I've always I don't know said that, that you need all four. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, let's talk about commandeer. Uh, why why is this card appearing in rhinos in the first place? I'm pretty sure it originally started popping up following the printing of the one ring specifically, where it served as this extra copy of force of negation post board that was good because it also actually helps recoup some of the card disadvantage that you do to yourself by casting force yeah. for free can, can we briefly even remind people what this card is is it like is it three blue blue but you can pitch two blue cards or is it like five blue it's, blue it's, it's five blue blue and instant that you may Exile two blue cards in your hand from the game rather than play Commandeer's Mana Cost, and it's gain control of target non-creature spell. You may choose new targets for it. Yeah, can you can you believe you don't even get a creature for f- three, five blue blue or pitching two other blue cards? Maybe that would be too good, but yeah, that's so this this card's a little good. weird, right? It's like okay, well, I'm either paying seven or I'm doing a three for one for myself. Mm, you're. You're never paying seven. Exactly. That's what. So I really mean you're three for one in yourself. Well, you're not though. Like unless you're using it to counter something else, you're like. Uh, it's really important to note that like it's good against the cards that get you cards back, or the equivalent. So for instance, I think it's pretty good in the mirror to actually steal opponents' crashing footfalls. Like that feels like a pretty big swing. Especially because you can do this on your opponent's turn or on your turn. Like, it doesn't have the turn restrictions that the Force Cycle does. Like, Force of Negation is only free on your opponent's turn. Commandeer is free on anyone's turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I think that's pretty important. I really think it's fantastic against the Beans decks. 
specifically for stealing rhinos. Like I, or I'm sorry, not rhinos, teferis. In fact, I never want to steal beans because you basically are only ever getting one card off of beans in the deck that's shaving furies. Like it's really hard to trigger it again. So you consider teferi worth stealing mainly because it shuts down your primary game plan and you can sort of bounce something and get a card. And so it's, it feels worth the, the, the three for one. Exactly. I mean, Teferi's worth stealing because A, it, like, you don't want to face an opposing Teferi. No, yeah. B, or, yeah. A, you don't want to face your oppo- an opposing Teferi. B, it makes all of their counter magic yeah. worse. Like, especially, we're talking about post board games here where they're probably bringing in, like, a Flusterstorm, a Spell Pierce, etc. Maybe even a Dovin's Veto. I don't know. Um, it can also bounce, like, a Chalice if, if they're being real cheeky. Yeah, if they're, if they're stacking um, up the and, hate. And yeah, or you bounce your own Shardless and then cascade again with with the same card mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, yeah like i think you have to steal to fairies i mean pay, maybe you even have to steal engineered explosives <laughs> but I, I haven't really thought that far ahead yeah so it means it's very flexible it's it's cheap ish if you don't consider cardboard in your hand cheap and it, it can get you off from tight spots but also you know really let you turn the corner hard at the same time but it yeah. costs three cards yeah i've been so impressed it doesn't cost three cards because it gets you cards back. Well, well mean, you have saying. to have them, which which is my concern, right? You have to have three, you know, two blue cards and the commandeer in your hand. Right. Yes. But today's team versions do. Like they're playing for Lorwyn, a lot of subtleties, fire ice, like sometimes up to two Merktides. Like you have a density of blue cards that I... I seldom find that I have an uncastable okay. commandeer. Do you find way. yourself sort of like, if you know you sided in commandeer and you might not need the land right away, do you find yourself sort of sandbagging your lore and reveals then in that case? Yes. If I have a, a natural way to get to three, I am definitely sandbagging lore when revealed because it's so important for force negation and subtlety as well. But yeah. Yes. Makes total sense. The the only times I'm I'm using my extra Lorowins is if I want to get to five to yeah, cast Fury. like to hardcast a Fury or to hardcast the second Lorowin. This is a small thing for people who um, might be uh, not as experienced with Lorowin revealed as I was. Like I hadn't played Rhinos in a while. Like I don't think I've played Lorowin revealed Rhinos yet. Um, so it is not a, a blue mana to cycle it. So I I misfetched once, um, and I was like, oh, man, I didn't get blue mana to cycle my lore when revealed. And then I was like, well, I'm stuck on, like, one land here. And I didn't look at it closely enough to be like, oh, I could have paid anything and turned this game around. So, like, it definitely cost me a game just by not reading the card. Always read your cards, everyone. That's good. You know what, Shane? That's really good advice. Sometimes reading cards, sometimes reading cards can be good. Um, so yeah, commandeer verdict. I, I love it. Like I see a lot of decks playing one. I am playing two. Let's play two. Let's do it. Like just because I feel like when you're bringing it in, it's so impactful, and the one of you're not seeing enough. Yeah. Um. So that 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 that's my my logic and. I might change my mind later on and, and then go back to one, but I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, this deck's all about tweaking. Tweak, tweak, tweak Adelphia. Stan, can I ask you a question about another blue card? Subtlety. Anything. And I guess primarily, mm. let's talk about subtlety versus Fury. Because I feel yes. like Fury sort of is increasingly 
getting, I don't know if I'd call it outmoded, or the, the community sentiment around subtlety is that it's better than Fury right now. It's kind of, you mm-hmm. know, the the pitch elemental against Scam. It's maybe the pitch elemental against uh, the Beans decks. And, you know, it's something, it's it's more blue in your in your deck, which can be advantageous for sure. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Like, it's, it's, that's what we've been seeing. Like, you know, three to four subtlety in a lot of these lists, right? And yes. I think that, I've seen you ask in the Discord about like, you know, let's 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 talk Fury a little bit. Let's talk, you know, Fury versus Subtlety. Let's talk about, you know, I'm I'm missing Fury a little bit. What are you feeling like right now after playing I think decks that have more subtleties? So subtlety is good. Against scam especially. Yeah. So you think um, you think it's just like, flat out good against scam? Y- in for rhinos, yeah. yes. That, that because, wasn't that wasn't a loaded question. I was kind of like, you know, so is that your is that your stance that you think it feels good? Yeah, yeah. I, I like being able to subtlety their turn one grief feels just like important to actually not not necessarily stand a chance because you can you can beat a grief, but to to kind of like slow them down, they are pitching a card to the grief, so they they are actually down yeah. a card. They could like then <laughs> regrief you if if they have another yeah, I mean, one in their hand and yeah. a black card, or just thought sees you, or 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 ragavan you. Like they're not using any mana on that turn one grief, but ha- having a way to kind of like keep them from doing their thing for as long as possible, I think, is really important for the cascade deck. Where being able to put rhinos on the board is really important for the texture of that matchup. Here's a question: When you, when when you cast it against grief specifically, right? You you mm-hmm. have to cast it against the first, like the casting, right? Like because you can't give them the hand clearing trigger, so they're not spending the undying effect, right? Cor- so that, correct, yeah, th- 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 and that's my point. That's why it costs like no mana, and they still will have a land up to do something else. Well, I mean, they also can just get the grief the next turn, right? That's that's true. If they put it on top of the yeah, library, so like you yes. know, if they have any other, let's say, pitchable card, they'll just be like, okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna do it next turn because especially against rhinos, like, what are we doing? We're not doing anything on turn one or even turn two that necessarily breaks open, like what they're doing, right? Well, I disagree. So like, scam is is has a lot of good cards against rhinos. Like turn one ragavan can be really no, good. No, no, I meant Thought the, I meant Seasons the other way. Really so like, let's say, so they grief us turn mm. one. We settle oh, these. Sorry. We yeah. pitch a blue card. Yes. We don't get griefed. Yes. Then the next turn, yes. they just draw the grief. They, they grief yes. us again and we're in the same spot we were right. already. Well, the thing about scam, I find that because they're playing fables and ragavans and blood moons like sometimes they don't actually have a ton of extra and like we've also talked about like how often the deck runs out of gas period like sometimes they only really have the resources to grief once to try to scam you once yes um so like that that's why i feel like buying that extra turn is important enough to try because you could like you could get lucky or certainly it's easier to get lucky from that position than it is getting lucky after successfully being grief scammed and then having to like just live off the top of your deck and hope that's going to be good. And enough. I think talking about subtlety is strictly only a 
a defensive play that involves pitching another blue card from your hand. Once you get to four mana towards more of the late game and they're doing things like, well, I'm going to cast my Shieldred and I'm going to block their Rhinos and et cetera, et cetera. Like you hard cast that subtly into that. You take away their entire turn and you are able to attack in with three more damage and potentially seven more than you would have been able to do otherwise because your Rhino is also getting through. Great point. Yeah. So like, it's good there. It's, it's, it's good against other decks too. Um, I actually think it's, it is fairly good against Yawgmoth, um, dealing with actual Yawgmoth, dealing with Grists. Um, I like it against the Merktide Regent specifically, um, Teferi, of course, like all the payoffs in Tron other than the one ring, but all the other payoffs are like subtlety a bull. So the, the card is good and it's it's probably really good right now because of Loro and Reveal too. Like you just have so many blue cards to pitch to it that, you know, unlike the endurance and force of vigor problem that we kind of hinted at earlier, you, you're, you're ripe with blue cards to throw away. Um, I think the real question for me as a Rhinos player has been like, do I really want more subtleties and furies? Do I want to cut out all furies entirely? Is subtlety a, a reasonable replacement for fury? And I've just reached the opinion that it's it's not no. a replacement for fury. I want to be playing both. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, I think my deck had one main deck, one side fury, and I'm playing against mashups where I'm like, man, this is really not where I want to be. And and again, this this is part of the reality of playing in a modern metagame that is dynamic. You can't always predict what you're going to play against. Sometimes you have to take your lumps. You've got to you know do stuff that gets you the win in other ways where you get your dead gons or your fire ices or things like that. But I'm playing against stuff like Hammer, where I'm keeping hands with like three pieces of interaction, and they're still doing just fine because they're you know creating. Uh, the construct tokens and just getting out, they're outsizing my removal. They're playing like Draneth Magistrate, which is a 1-3 anyway. And that's where I really want Fury 2, where it's like, okay, well, actually I can't even, I can't evoke Fury into a Draneth Magistrate. So that's even rougher. So that's just the kind of stuff where sometimes Fury is better and sometimes it's slightly worse. I think it's, it's, I think what you're kind of getting at is how much more often is subtly strictly better than fury where like sort of the flexibility of fury where it's like i don't care that you resolve this necessarily i can deal with it on the board potentially right and i sometimes i just like that aspect of fury i think you know fury is a much better attacker late game if you hard cast it um typically a much better attacker it went you know closes the door more quickly against your opponent i think there's opportunities where subtly is better right where it's like but sometimes it's not even, right? Where it's like I'm playing its Murktide and it's late game and they have got like 12 cards in their graveyard. And, you know, typically an early Murktide is something that's great to bounce because it sort of strands it in their hand. Uh, late game or sometimes even mid game, it's like, well, this has no utility. I, I bounced it and you recast it because you had enough cards to delve it right back onto the board. I, I also don't think that subtlety can flip a game around the way of Fury. No, not at all. Where like... Fury is really good at punishing the players who've been developing. And subtlety is really good at just kind of like slowing players down as they're developing. Yeah. And occasionally, I think in today's format, like you need to have some tools to grind against like a lot of decks, including Scam for that matter. Like Scam does not want to play the grindy games. Like we hear this 
among other podcasts and like i think this is just kind of like the consensus these days is that scam is trying to play a small game and i think fury helps make games bigger because you are like sometimes wiping off a a ragavan and a douthy and a and like something else or like uh, a flipped fable and you know one or two other things so i don't know like when i see these deck lists do well with zero fury main i always find that a little surprising and i think they're compensating for that with like extra bone crushers you know two flames and a dismember and i don't think that's where i personally want to be or or would recommend someone go hear me out how much better or do you think subtlety is actually better than brazen bower well, against Scam, Subtlety is better against... I think Brazen Borrower in a vacuum, in an overall meta, I'm always like, man, I could really use some Brazen Borrower here. Like, I have a Singleton Ottawara. I have a Singleton Boseju. I want to get this thing out of the way so my trample damage gets through. Like, you, you, your window of opportunity for Subtlety is so narrow compared to the window of opportunity mm-hmm. that Brazen Borrower offers you, where you can respond to something that's been on the board. You can respond to artifacts. You can, you know, you can... You can bounce something uh, during your attack step. It's like you, the time you have to use subtlety is much less flexible. I'm so I'm not convinced because because I think that a lot of good cards in the format get their value just by hitting the board. Like look at Primeval Titan, look at Omnath, look at any of the Evoke Elementals. So w- while I I don't disagree that Petty Theft is is like is good, especially against hate cards post board. I don't know. Like, I, I think the ETBs are still a little bit too powerful in the format to to overlook the utility of subtlety in general beyond scale. And free is better than two. I've always said this. <laughs> the, old, the old adage. So yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not taking a stance. Like, I'm not saying Brazen Bar is better than subtlety. It's just kind of like these are the choices that people are sort of making right now. Which is like, I don't need any Brazen Bar. I'm gonna lean entirely on subtlety to shore up my matchups. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if this is enough. Like I'm, yeah, play one. I'm like, I'm, I'm just always re- like, you, you really expect me to rely on like my Ottawara to like, you know, get rid of this artifact on the board or like my Boseju or something like that, where it's like, man, this is not enough cards for me to be drawing to, to feel like I have an out here. But agreed. I, I think this is one of those testing things, right? Where it's like, whether it's at your LGS meta or in the leagues or whatever is like, you know, I think it's it's tem- it's tempting perhaps to take like the challenge top eight deck and be like this is the deck I should be playing like I need three to four subtleties right and then you go to the you go to the leagues and you're like I'm playing against Mill I'm playing against you know like Teamer Merktide um, I'm you know and these are like legitimate decks that that do exist and I think it's like you know experimental stuff necessarily so I think it's just like remember the context of the games you're playing too I think is important yeah. Shane, my advice to you, try three subtlety, two fury. Sure. I, yeah, why not? That spread has felt okay to me. I would go to the third fury, but like, I like having a flame of an or a one of bone crusher just to like have a little bit of extra reach or, or just like a little diversity in my suite. Um, but I, I certainly think that like, if there's ever a time to play three to four fury, like, that's probably going to make the deck a bit better. Word. I'm into it. Stanislav, I, we have another little section here that I want to get into because I have never ca- cast either of these cards. And that's Brother, Brotherhood's End and Obsidian Charmaw. Your uh, double red pips, I believe, both of them, correct? That's right. Yes. Yeah, they're, they're newish includes. 
Um, Obsidian Sharma is becoming more popular also since the printing of the One Ring in this modern Tron era. So I'm going to try to remember these off the top of my head. Brothers at End is one red red. Is it is it like just destroy everything three mana value or less? Is there an exile in there? How does this work? All right. So it has two modes. It can either deal three damage to each creature yes. and each planeswalker. Yeah. That's nice. Or destroy all artifacts with mana value three or oh, less. I love it. Yeah, perfect. I would have liked that. That's nice. And Charma is what? It's three red red, but it costs... One less for each land your opponent has that can produce colorless mana? That's correct. Right. And it, it, yes. it, does it have haste? It does not. But when, when it hits them, or when it ETBs, you destroy one land that doesn't that can make colorless? You destroy a target non-basic land they control. Okay, perfect. Love it. So it's a 4-4 four, four flyer, and if you're on the play, you cast it for three when they have like two Tron lands. Yeah, I like three. Three's good. Three's better than yeah. five. Yeah, so it's a three mana, four, it, like, at its best, it's a three mana four four flyer that blows up a land. I mean, it can be um, a, it can be a two mana four four flyer that blows up their Tron, but they probably cast something that you don't want to see. Right, right. Um, and yeah, so like people have been playing this basically instead of Blood Moons because the consensus is that Blood Moon is worse since now they have Karn and the One Ring to just play for four mana and stay in the game uh, in a way that like Blood Moons kind of used to almost lock them out or just like force them to like get to seven lands the the old-fashioned way so i i actually kind of feel like charma has been more stock lately for that reason and it's been fine i cast it against a tron player i still lost but that was because i made i i played terribly and just like (laughs) let things resolve that should not have been allowed to resolve and didn't need to resolve but i was like i'll just let it resolve and and then they punish me but like yeah charma is fine i still like the one blood moon but um it's also like like not bad against uh titan um and like you could even maybe bring it in against hammer and and scales if you're really low on cyborg cards because it can blow up sagas and ink moths yeah 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 brotherhood's end i think that's a little bit more of a curveball that's gaining popularity yeah it seems good i mean probably good against uh hammer it, yeah i mean it's great against all the artifact decks i think it's fantastic against yogmoth especially as you're shaving on furies and you need a way to kind of like deal with a lot of things all at once and being able to potentially clear a board and a grist is really really special um you can also bring in it incidentally against like a Merktide or any deck that is running like chalices and engineered explosives. I, I have found like the games where I bring it in, they tend to be against artifact decks, but in those games, it's like the most important draw I can have. It's almost more important than Force of Vigor. Um, perhaps it is more important than Force of Vigor because it's just like a board wipe, a guaranteed board wipe. Um, and I'm up to two Brotherhood's End as well, personally. I haven't seen that adopted as much. But it's like, because I feel like I want to draw it in the games when I bring it in, I just want to increase my consistency of drawing it a little bit. And as if Hardened Scales and or Hammer is going to get more popular, I think having like destroy all artifact cards is going to be at a premium moving forward. That makes total sense. I knew it. I would like to uh, cast both these cards. Ah, you'd love it.
Hello everyone, Shane here flying solo on a Barrister and Man ad drop. Yes, Barrister and Man is back because all of you all keep using the code the dive down 23 15% off your first order over at Barrister and Man. Coming up next week on Tuesday, November 21st, there is a big release of a bunch of fall products just in time for the Black Friday sale coming soon after that runs through Cyber Monday. We'll provide you some more details on that. But Will over at Barrister and Man's got Midnight Special, Melange, Brayburn, Promises, and some bath soaps in the sh uh, smell, not shape, of Figaro's and Nordost. The Midnight Special is, you know, a sandalwood a poponax peppercorn nutmeg rast wood sounds awesome uh, sounds nice and fall the melange is super fall style cinnamon nutmeg ginger cardamom bay musk and desert air uh, brayburn nice and fruity apple sage orange vetiver amber spices promises is orange bergamot honey whiskey peat nutmeg saffron and of course snowmobile exhaust we always want that in our lives so go check out barrister and man on november 21st get these products in your cart start stocking up for all of your holiday purchases if you want to wait until the black friday sale feel free to do that the free shipping threshold is going to be lowered i have been told from to uh from 75 to $55. So that'll be a nice boon for y'all who just want to do a normal size order instead of a larger size one. So again, the code for Barrister and Man, the dive down 23 for 15% off your first order over at Barrister and Man. Dan, you mentioned in the intro, we did have a listener question that piqued your interest. Let's, well, we don't even do a bumper. We'll just go straight into the wind down because we're, yeah. we're a little bit long, not too long. Uh, Michael T., uh, I'm going to summarize this question. It's a, more of like a paragraph long. But basically, Michael asked what our opinion was on the Marvel announcement and the implication of potentially format warping cards. I mean, that's a bit of an assumption that we'll have good cards, but... They do want us to buy cards, so we will. I will assume a few. You're telling me Silver Sable is not going to be OP? It might. I don't even know who that is. Uh, Michael got into Magic about f back into Magic about five years ago. Primarily played Modern. I feel that, and has loved the format through its highs and lows. But hates. But the idea of having to see Marvel cards is very jarring for me. Makes you want to plan to get out of the format. I'm not a fan of Lord of the Rings, but at least it has a high. Uh, you know, has a common high fantasy theme, so it's not as bad as the notion of seeing Marvel characters as cards in a competitive eternal format. So yes, um, I, I sympathize and identify with this this general sentiment that Michael is sharing. And I, I, I wrote a bunch of stuff since you you teed it up for me. I suppose I wanted to avoid this. I, if you want some other good takes on this, I think that Lee and CCR on Grindcast had a really smart and insight. Weird for them to have a smart and insightful segment, honestly. Um, but Agreed. I, I, Jesse Ropkin, I think, has also tweeted some pretty interesting thoughts on it, too, that I generally agreed with. So you can look up Titty Pills on Twitter, see her takes. So it's funny, Stan, the only time I see Magic uh, tweets is when I log in to the dive down account. I have removed all magic from my personal uh, yes. Twitter account. I just don't want to see it. It's I need it's to separate that. Best. 
The so I think it do is important to note though that we actually don't know how Marvel is going to be treated. Um, mm-hmm. The announcement mentioned tentpole sets, multiple yes. sets beginning in 2025. Which yes. tentpole means like it's a full set release, like it's draftable. They're going to make commander decks, all that kind of good stuff. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it will be modern legal. Like so, Commander Masters is an example of a tentpole set that is not modern legal. That that's true, and I think the fear that it will be modern legal is that lord of the rings was a tentpole set as well so yes i i yeah i i get that for sure like from yeah think that's me, just where the concern stems from yeah know? exactly we don't know um you know assassin's creed uh final fantasy i believe they stated was we're going to be modern legal and those aren't really substantively different from like marvel being legal as well so like yeah my first response was how much can i sell off of my yeah. collection right it's like well like do i i guess i keep scamming rhinos and and sell the rest like what am i doing with all these cards like what does this mean for magic like people have said stuff like this is the fortniteification of magic and if you aren't a fortnite familiar person basically they just sort of get a lot of pop pop culture licenses like you know they'll have uh a jedi thing oh darth vader or you know yeah except those are skins yes those they're are just not skins. game pieces they're just skins. well they do have game These... pieces though like there are like special guns that are oh. on theme like for like the the time period in which things are being like my you know i know this from my nephew like so my nephew's sure, like oh sure sure yeah from from my nephew not me at all the so like it'll be like oh they added this new thing and i'm like what is that and he's like oh yeah it's part of like the uh, star wars whatever thing so anyway easy takes right are like it, i'm fine with the tent being bigger and to increase purchasing increase people's potential engagement with the product of magic and it's really easy to say typically like this isn't a product for me it doesn't matter i don't care until it impacts the formats that like i engage with and a lot of other yeah. people engage with right and like you know a warhammer or doctor who commander deck isn't something that i have to have a take on and i don't have takes on if you are all about this like sweet i'm i'm all for it um because it doesn't impact like what i consider to be like this core competitive environment and like what i want this environment to do is like stick closely to what i think of as the core tenants tenets of the game and world design that Watsi has had for like 30 years, right? Which is doing their own IPs, making up their own fantastical spells, creatures, environments, whatever, that has like the sort of general boundary that we all understand and agree to, right? Yes. Like we have bought into these boundaries of world building, of card design, of the type of creatures, you know, there's, there's no guns or laser cannons, there's, you know, people fly around in airships, not spaceships. Like mm. the planeswalkers on the board are like these just fellow wizards that are like making little plant tokens or like zap- zapping enemy creatures or something like that. You know what I mean? Like we have, we have a concept of what magic and the worlds of magic are all about. But when you take in these outside IPs and bring them into the world that Watsi has like been surprisingly good at curating for decades, like it brings in these outside expectations and these mm-hmm. outside concepts that like, sure, they can coexist just fine. We saw that with Lord of the Rings, like, you know, mm-hmm. power level aside of certain cards, like, you know, the lore, look and feel of Lord of the Rings meshes, I think, with what we generally can expect from magic. And me personally, I would say that Marvel exists outside those established expectations for most people. And I'll stop there. I said a bunch of stuff. I don't know if you have any thoughts or takes in response. Shane, I'm impressed. I, well said. We haven't talked about this before. Like we haven't even discussed this in the Discord. So this is this is actually our first time talking about it. Um, 
And I was a little surprised that you guys didn't cover it during my sabbatical after the announcement was made. So I was excited to, to chat about it with I mean, you what now. Did, what did we have to add? You know what I mean? You know what? Your point of view is unique to you, Shane. Oh, thank you. That's what, that's what makes you you. Um, yeah, I, I'm probably not going to speak as much about this because, A, you put it really well. And I think there's been a lot of really smart discourse already that's going to be more eloquent than whatever I can say. But I will say this. I was among the people who was kind of disappointed by the Marvel news and will be more disappointed if it ends up being mar- modern legal. Not disappointed enough that I will like quit Marvel or modern on principle over it. No, we're just going to call modern is now known as Marvel, Stan. <laughs> God, I apologize be, to break it to you. That would be so sad. <laughs> really heartbreaking. Modern stuff, brought man. to you by uh, Marvel. Greetings, true believers. No. So yes, I, I was a little disappointed. I'm holding up some hope that it won't be modern legal. I won't quit modern if it is, unless like the format just really sucks. Apropos of Marvel or, or because of Marvel, I don't know. Um, I think for me, it makes magic a little less special. I think to your point, like we've had 30 years of magic being its own kind of unique identity uh, and like a brand that was really good at kind of like being a a community of like a specific type of fantasy and sci-fi characters and concepts and boundaries. It was its own thing for better or worse. Yeah. And I think like we were able to, I was able to tolerate a lot of the secret lair stuff because it didn't really bleed into modern explicitly, but as the game, the competitive game becomes more affected by these brand tie Like an IP grab bag. It, to me, I think it actually makes magic feel less special and more of like a billboard for other IPs. Yeah. And like, I, I'm not playing this game because I want to see Spider-Man everywhere <laughs> I go. Oh, like I got webbed again. Yeah. <laughs> not web. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's just like, it, 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 I think Jesse described it as like this homogenization of pop culture. And it's like, where do unique things exist anymore? If like every nerd adjacent experience like has to have these yeah. like monolithic brands and characters like ever present in all of them. Isn't it weird that fundamentally the nerds won and I'm, I'm, co- I'm putting myself into that group. Like pop culture is very largely nerd culture. Or at least like geek culture. Dude, but cha- have you seen the weekend numbers for the Marvels? <laughs> it's not great, but that's this is like the 30th MCU, right? The, the like, you know, the, the MCU is huge. Like, I think it's, I mean, I would kind of point to Game of Thrones as like, you mm-hmm. know, that's that was a huge cultural touchstone. That was essentially like geek stuff, like fantasy novels that got turned into a huge TV show, right? And the MCU and just basically so much stuff is designed like around like the what I think would formerly be considered like outsider stuff or like weirdo stuff. Right. And what you're getting at, I think Stan is like the, you know, the outside IPs coming into magic. Like imagine how much Watsi or uh, Hasbro had to spend to get this. Disney mm-hmm. owns Marvel. Disney mm-hmm. owns like, and, and by that, oh, it's all Marvel comics. So even if this is just like a comics thing and not like an MCU thing. Does Disney own Marvel comics? Yeah, Disney owns Marvel. And Marvel Comics is part of Marvel. Um, well, uh, D- Disney owns Marvel Studios. I, I, I looked it up and Marvel Comics is part of Marvel. Okay. They kind of own a whole Fair. cloth is my understanding. Correct me if I'm wrong, listeners. So like to Disney has Lorcana, 
you'd think they would keep mm -hmm. Marvel in their back pocket for a few years mm -hmm. to like eventually add to the Chrono world eventually or something like that. Like, so imagine not only the appetite that Hasbro has, but how much they threw at this to get this kind of IP. Like, you know, say what you will about Doctor Who or Warhammer or, you know, a Street Fighter Secret Lair or something like that, right? Like, those are small potatoes compared to like the $4 billion I think Disney dropped on Marvel to, to buy it, right? So like, this is not something that is going to be one-off and we're already seeing that be the case. So like the, whether or not Marvel specifically is legal for modern, something else will, you know, whether it's Assassin's Creed or it's Final Fantasy or it's whatever, like Buck Rogers in the, in the 24th century or whatever the heck is, it is, you know what I mean? God, that'd be awesome. So that's the stuff for me where it's like, even if Marvel works out well, then something else won't, or something else will be the thing, or something. Someone else is just like, man, I do not engage with, with this concept in in my game, and I don't know. Like I, I, it, like you said, it, it sort of dilutes the uniqueness. It it dilutes the novelty, and to me, dilutes the the feel in which I engage or have engaged with magic in the past, and and. If that means that magic becomes something that I find more challenging to engage with, then I'll have to to cross that bridge when I come to it, I suppose. Yeah. My my parting thought on this is that my reaction in, in terms of like how does this affect me as a player is that it actually makes like standard and pioneer look a little more appealing. And I think the the standard announcement of like the increased focus on competitive standard made that format actually seem a little bit more appealing. The 10K Open at PT Chicago, which we're all planning to attend, like that's going to be an exciting way to actually dive into a new format too, I think. And if standard ends up being the thing that kind of like protects us from the homogenization of pop culture that is now happening in modern Magic the Gathering, then like being able to still play this excellent game separated from all the secret layers and third-party tent poles, like, I'm willing to do that. But I think time will tell, and maybe at the end of the day, like, we hope that this ends up being good and fun for us, but, yeah, I think we're a little nervous and disappointed, too. Right on. So much with that, why don't you take us out of this one, Stan, this, with these... This really positive and dive downer, am I right? Yeah, right. Wine downer. Well, look, it wraps up this week's show on an, an emotional note, perhaps, but not all episodes are like this. And if you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or just reach out in general, you can tweet us at the dive down, all one word, or email the dive down at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash the dive down and check out our store at the dive slash store. Head over to heavyplay.com to get some incredible deck and dice boxes and play mats featuring the equip mag system. They have sleeves as well. And if you use promo code the dive down 2023, you'll get 10% off your first order at heavyplay.com. Shout out to Mana Traders for sponsoring the Dive Down. Sign up for Mana Traders using promo code thedivedown23, all one word, and get 10% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and play some Magic! Before it's too late. <laughs>